We're here with Brooke Banning. <laughs> the Brooke Banning Show. <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> Welcome to being an artist is fucking killing me. We were recording. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Welcome to being an artist is fucking killing me. Yeah. Rainy's in a in a fun mood today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling silly. Singing everything. Yeah. Um, We're t- here today with Brooke Banning. Yes. Uh, actor transitioned into writer. Yeah. So she's currently writing and filming her own series called The Brooke Banning Show. Yeah, web series. Which is going to be hilarious and we're very excited about. Yes, so keep an eye out for that. We'll post details on our social media, at GalPalProds. Follow us. Follow us, like us. Review us. Do our, Rate us. Rate us. <laughs> we're still asking because no one's done it yet. Yeah. But we're here with Brooke, and what's really interesting about Brooke is that Brooke um, works at two different companies, right? Drama Way. I think they're part of the same Oh, okay. company, she just works, different... Oh, yeah, at Drama Way. Yeah. And created a program called Acting Works. Yes. A conservatory-style acting program for adults with disabilities. Yeah. Which really is important to her because, you know, representation is becoming more and more important. Mm-hmm. Tired of seeing non-disabled actors or non-actors of color play those roles, which should just be filled by the people that have those experiences because they'd be much more authentic, obviously. Right. Another great thing that we talk about is um, family dynamics mm-hmm. and how where you come from um, can often, not I'm not going to say define, but can often show up in your work as an adult. Influence. Influence your work as an adult, as an artist. And, uh, yeah, she really talks about that. Yeah. It's cool. Cool. Thanks for listening, guys. We're going to get started. Yeah. So we're live. That's it. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Hey. Hi, Brooke. <laughs> we're so excited. Yay. We're here with Brooke Banning. Yes. Star of the Brooke Banning show. Hello. <laughs> it, it's not released yet. It's soon to be released web series, right? Yeah. So we've only shot one episode and we want to shoot a couple more before we do the launch. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. What's it about? Um... So I usually start by talking about what inspired it. Um, yeah, let's so do that. I was uh, I just gotten out of my first long-term relationship, and which I was was how long? Which was like four years. Okay. And um, I was sort of dating for the first time as an adult. I was also kind of isolating myself as a writer. Um, so I was living in this basement apartment, and I didn't have internet, and I didn't have um, like. A smartphone. I just had this little flip phone. Um, like, not to have internet was like a choice that you made? Yeah. Okay. I spent a year without internet um, just so a that year? I could focus on my writing. And then I would go across the street to Tim Hortons when I needed to send an email or something. <laughs> Jesus. Um, How did you communicate with the world? Text <laughs> message? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... And so I started writing this web series about this woman who is going kind of crazy from loneliness in her basement apartment, and she decides to start a reality dating show, but she never leaves her apartment, and so she just invites these guys from Craigslist to her house, and they have a date there, and then, at least at the beginning, it usually ends with her scaring them away. Um, her scaring them away mm-hmm. by being crazy? 
yeah, be by like asking for commitment too quickly uh, or yeah. different mistakes that you make, especially when you're young and dating. Was to use Craigslist, was that a choice or was that something you were using? Uh, I guess Tinder was just becoming a thing around then, but I thought Craigslist was funnier yeah. and just like weirder and crazier. So. Uh, so when did you first start, like what year did you first start writing this web series? I think I was writing it in 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, Tinder was new. Yeah. And so then I put it <laughs> aside for a while. Right. Um, but it was always this project I had at the back of my mind because I was like, oh, this would be so cheap and easy to make. Yeah. It's just me in a room with one other person. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't need to rent a space. I could just potentially shoot this in my apartment. Um, yeah. So now we're shooting it. We shot one episode. Um, when you were when you were writing it, were you having were you going on dates at that time too, or you were just writing? Yeah, I was definitely dating. Yeah, so is it based from experiences from you from you going on dates, bad dates, good dates? Uh, I don't know if any of the guys are based on real people that I was dating. The guys in the show so far are pretty objectified and kind of basic, and Brooke is the interesting character yeah, in yeah. all of it. Great, I'll so, that. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to say that there, any of them are based on real people. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, one of the guys doesn't even have his name, his name's just Brawny Dude, or stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just, started, you just finished filming the first episode of that? Mm-hmm. And when is it going to be released, do you know? Um... There are a lot of things up in the air. I'm just juggling way too many things. So yeah, yeah. Um, how how long were was this something that you were using to like work through your breakup, the writing, or was this always an idea that you had? Uh, it was one of those projects that I was writing because it was super fun to write and it okay. made me laugh. And even if nothing happened with it. Uh, it was just like, it was a good relief from other projects that I was working on that um, were maybe more draining. Sure. Yeah. What other draining projects have you been working on lately? <laughs> uh, I have three projects that I've been focused on lately. One is a feature film. It's called Child, and it's about a woman who is trying to get pregnant. She is struggling to get pregnant she and her partner are going through like, fertility treatment and at a certain point they decide okay we're gonna do this one more time and then we can't afford to continue with this um and when that fails she starts to go through this weird time where she's watching this teenage boy who's just kind of like a normal kid. He's skateboarding around. He has a little bit of attitude. And you slowly realize that this is a child that she gave up for adoption when she was a teenager. And so it's about her realizing as a woman in her mid-30s that she might never have this opportunity again and trying to reclaim this past that no longer belongs to her. Um... So when you, when you write, because you're a writer, that's what you would call yourself mm -hmm. fully, what's your process with starting projects? So are you inspired by specific things? So obviously with the Brooke Banning show, you were, you know, just doing this fun thing based on your life, that something that was happening to, to you. 
but projects like that and the projects like the other one, um, how do you get inspiration? How does the process for that usually start? Uh, it's a little bit different for writing a play than it is for a film. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I'm writing a play, I start more with an idea, and then I like to create characters that represent different kind of perspectives. Mm -hmm. And so it's this like warring over an idea. And then later I'll go back and do more research and try and create fuller characters. Um, whereas with a film, it starts a lot more with people in my life that I want to base the characters on, places that I have actually seen. Um, and so the research comes a lot more at the beginning. And, Interesting. Uh, it sounds like your work's really character-driven. Mm -hmm. So it's these, you're creating kind of these people that are, or these characters, that, worlds that are interesting to you and, um, what was I saying? Sorry. <laughs> uh, it just sounds like it's really character driven and that it's, that's like a place that you start. You don't start from a plot. You just start from a character. And why is that, do you think? Like, do you think it's, it, is it just the most interesting part of storytelling? Do you think it's easier to, for your process? Why do you think that, that it's more character driven than plot? Driven? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Um, a lot of the work that I like is, I'm really interested in world cinema and foreign films um, and these kind of quiet, intimate stories about family. Um, a lot of my work is about the tension between family and desire. Uh, and about the different ways that family and the idea of family can uh, assist or kind of oppress women. Um, I'm really interested in the ways that we communicate or fail to communicate. I guess the reason why my stories end up being more character driven is just because the kinds of drama that I'm interested in are more subtle moments that occur between two people. They're not huge plot points that cause a huge twist in the yeah. narrative. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So obviously, right now you're finding a lot of success in your Brooke Banning show, in other projects you're working on, but how did you get here? Not saying that you aren't always successful, but, <laughs> you know, we all have a struggle of where we start, from where we started, from where we are right now. Yeah. Um, I was telling Rainy that I was up late. <laughs> I told her. I was like, tossing and turning, being like, how do I start my story? Your origin story. Yeah. <laughs> Karen's going to ask you that for sure. Uh, it better be very, like, cinematic and superhero-based. Yeah, yeah. I wrote it out, memorized it. Here we go. Um... One of the ways that I think about the decisions I've made and the ways that I've ended up where I am now um, start when I was a kid and I, for a lot of reasons, um, was struggling to fit in with uh, the kids um, that I went to school with. Uh, Did you go to school in a large or a small community? 
I grew up in Tokyo. Okay. Went to Catholic school, but my mm. family was actually Catholic, and okay. a lot of the kids around me were just kind of cu culturally Catholic, which meant that my parents were restricting my access to a lot of the films and music that wow. everybody else um, was engaging with, and so it was really hard to even have something to talk to my peers about sometimes. Because you weren't like on the pop culture that was Yeah, because, you know, I haven't seen Scary Movie or Titanic or, like, a lot of the things <laughs> that are just kind of <laughs> cornerstones of our generation's childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also had a peanut allergy, which might seem like a small thing, but it meant that um, when I went to parties or sleepovers or whatever, my parents had to talk to the other kids' parents and come up with a plan or that I had to leave early. Or like when I was in Girl Guides, I wasn't allowed to go camping because we would be too far away from a hospital and like if there was an emergency. Oh. So f for some reason, this kind of small thing in my life became really big. Um, because of how your parents treated it? Yeah, I guess so. Mm-hmm. Mm and then... Um, were there any like staple movies that you were allowed to watch? Or like TV shows you were definitely allowed to watch? Could you talk about how you weren't allowed seeing certain ones? Were there yeah. ones that you remember continuously watching? I grew up on a lot of shows from like the 70s that my parents watched, like The Brady Bunch or like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like stuff that was about these really innocent families, like Seventh Heaven or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one film that my parents weren't allowed to, wouldn't let me watch, one film that I, my parents wouldn't let me watch to begin with was A Walk to Remember, because they would go <sighs> yes. to this website called Kids in Mind that would just rate a film based on the violence, the profanity, and the sexuality. And so they were basically just looking at a number, and the number said, there's a lot of sex in this film, I so see you can't see it. site still exists. <laughs> What's it called? Kids in Mind. Kids in Mind. Are you an only child, Brooke? No, um, I'm the oldest of five. Oh, oh I didn't yeah. know you had that many brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. sisters? Yeah. 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 So anyway, <laughs> I tried. I tried. It was very funny to finally see a walk to remember and be like, oh, this is actually a film that's about like a super religious woman and the ways that her boyfriend makes these sacrifices in order to support yeah. <laughs> her religious choices. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, because all my parents were looking at was the number, it was just like, nope, that's not a film you're gonna see. Not that much sex on a walk to remember. I yeah. think there's some like there's like a, a scene of that early in the film where people put her face on a photo of a woman in a thong, so that was part oh, of it. Yeah. Right? They like I don't know because, <laughs> because she's religious and comes from a religious family. Yeah, they're, like, so they're making fun, fun of her. her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, that was like one of the movies we would watch at sleepovers. Yeah, and I remember the first time I saw it, just like. Bawling. <laughs> any of those experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the third reason why I felt kind of isolated from my peers was because uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money. My mom was an, like a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was running his own business. Um, and so, like, I didn't have a lot of money to ha have the kind of clothes that everybody else was wearing. Right. Wearing, so it was hard to fit in that way. Um, and so I started to get really creative with what I wore and I would get clothes from like Salvation Army, Value Village, places like that. But, um, since I couldn't fit in, I decided to make, use what I had to kind of 
create a different kind of identity that was a creative identity. And so I think that was kind of the seed of Brooke creating an identity that is that of an artist. Is like, if I can't be like everyone else, maybe I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to be this other thing. Uh, yeah, and then I was kind of quiet, so my parents put me in theater, and I fell in love immediately and decided <laughs> I wanted to be an actor when I was 10 years old. <laughs> Did you go to acting school when you graduated from high school? I studied theater at U of T, so I started acting, and then... Um, so the big shift that occurred was maybe when I was like 19, 20, and I was going to a lot of auditions, and I was auditioning with this material that was so bad, and I was allowing these people to judge me and to decide whether I got this role or not, but ultimately it was like, even if I got this role, would I be excited about it? Because the script is horrible. I'm not going to be proud of, you know. The work that you do. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of when I decided I wanted to write. Cool. Mm-hmm. Was it a quick switch, just like, I don't want to act anymore, I want to write? Or was it gradual, you kind of like dipped your toes in a couple of writing projects? Yeah, I think it was kind of, they crossed over. It was like more and more terrible auditions. And then Brooke is actor writing material for herself and being like, this is more exciting. And then slowly being like, I don't actually need that acting stuff yeah. anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Because besides writing, you do a lot of like behind, you do a lot of like behind the scenes stuff with lighting design, right? And mm-hmm. stage direction. Yeah. I mean, once I had forgotten about the acting stuff and became a writer, I started to realize that being a theater writer in Toronto means being a producer as well. And then yes. you're going to... You got to do it all, right? Yeah. Yes. You're going to produce your own work. And that means you have to be able to do everything. And I really like doing lighting design. I don't really like directing, um, but I really like collaborating with directors that I respect and getting to be the person behind the computer, just kind of listening while the stuff in the rehearsal hall is happening. Um, Can I ask you why you don't like directing? Yeah. I've talked to a lot of directors about how I always feel like when I'm directing, I need to have all the answers. Especially as a writer-director, the actress just expects that you know because you wrote, you wrote it. Right. And the directors that I've spoken to that I respect usually feel like you're not supposed to have the answers as a director. You're, it's just a conversation and you're collaborating. And mm-hmm. the rehearsal studio shouldn't actually be hierarchical in that way. But I still just feel way too much pressure when I'm directing. And... One of the reasons I love theater and film is because they're collaborative. And if you're kind of an auteur creator, then you're removing an element of that Mm -hmm. collaboration. Mm. That's interesting. Um, So collaboration is also obviously very important to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you draw a lot of inspiration from the people that you work with collaboratively? Um, How do you feed off like other people's energies in the space? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends on the project. Sure. I, I wrote and directed one project called Wolf Sounds that was pretty unique because I was working with five actors who had special needs. Mm-hmm. And I have a background working with people with special needs. I've been teaching dance and film classes at a company called Drama Way to people with special needs for about 10 years now. 
And the entire time I was, or most of the time I was working for that company, I thought I would love to be able to do a professional production with a couple of these people and allow them the opportunity to be seen for the, just kind of for the Toronto theater community to be able to see what they can do. Yeah. Um, and so in 2014, I produced this show called Wolf Sounds, and that was uh, the biggest learning curve in terms of collaboration because I kind of thought that I could bring these people into a room and that I could write something and that would be what the show was, mm-hmm. but it turned out that really in order for them to be able to be dynamic on stage, they needed to be doing something that was very close to who they were. And so that meant that they were hugely involved in the creation of the script. Uh Cool. Yeah. In other pieces, it's more like an actor tells me, an older actor tells... So um, in other... When I've been working on other projects, an actor will tell me, or an older actor will tell me, you know, when my father was sick I felt this thing or that thing and I'm just so grateful because I'm like I've never actually been in that situation Mm -hmm. and I'll take that and incorporate that into the writing Um, and so that can be a way that we're collaborating is Mm -hmm. people who've had experiences I'm trying to write about that I haven't actually had can give me this input um that's cool speaking on you're working with um people with special needs you founded acting works Mm. Is that, and that company works with kids with, or not kids, sorry, with people with special needs, right? Yeah. So Acting Works is a program with, um, within DramaWay. Oh, cool. Um, so at DramaWay, we have DramaWorks, which is a recreational acting program for people with special needs. But there have been a lot of professional opportunities for people with special needs yeah. recently in the theater community right. and in film. People because are, we're looking for those stories. Yeah, and people are realizing that representation matters, yeah. right? Yeah. And people are bored of the normal white male protagonist who gets his way in the end. Like, people yeah, are tired Yeah, we don't of- necessarily <laughs> want Leonardo DiCaprio playing the autistic boy anymore, yeah. right? No. <laughs> Which yeah. means we need the like people who are actually having these experiences yeah. to yes. learn how to perform. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so... I pitched the idea of acting works to my boss, Danielle Sternad, um, as a kind of conservatory-style acting program for people with special needs. Because you can't... I mean, there are definitely mainstream acting programs at like a college and university level that are um, opening up and trying to bring in more people who are more diverse. Like, I had a girl who was legally blind in my acting class when I was at U of T, and um, so that's really exciting. But at a certain point, the people that I'm teaching, at least, need to learn at a different pace. And so... Right. Um, a university program might not fit what, they're, what they feel that they can handle. Exactly. Yeah, so that's that. where acting works kind of <laughs> fits in, is right. we're still challenging people at that level, but... We can also move at their, the pace that's comfortable for them. Great. Mm-hmm. So what inspired you to start working with people with special needs? Did you have someone when you were younger that you worked with? Was there a friend, a family member? Yeah, I mean, most of the people that I talk to have stories like that. But for me, I, I think I was just avoiding going out for recess. And so I would, <laughs> I would volunteer in the special needs class at my grade school 
in order to avoid going out for recess. <laughs> and, oh. and then when I was starting to write, I decided that there was something there that I wanted to write about, that I had learned something from those people that I, I, I had gotten to know. And then when I started to write about it, I realized I didn't know nearly as much as I needed to, and so I started to volunteer for Drama Way and then to become an employee. And yeah, it's been a really special part of my week every week since then. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's like unique challenges yeah. in that, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. I've always loved trying to figure out the ways that they learn differently. And so I had one year where I was teaching dance and I was just focusing on rhythm and making sure that they could hear the rhythm in a song so that they could hit the beats when yeah. they're dancing. Because before that, often I would have to stand in front of them during our recital and do the dance with them. Mm-hmm. But if they could hear the count, then they could hit the... If they could hear the count, then they could perform the move on the count, and they might not need me standing in front of them. Right. So that's always my goal, is for them to just be able to do the recital at the end of the year without me standing there. <laughs> um, every, every dance teacher's dream. It is. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of teaching, are there, what are some of like, the biggest differences um, teaching? Because it's people, people with all types of different special needs, right? Yeah. Yeah. So mostly autism and Down syndrome, but yeah, some other things as well. So what's the biggest um, difference between teaching regular, teaching a normal dance or theater class, and teaching there? Um, one of the reasons why I really enjoy teaching my special needs students as opposed to some of the kids that I teach Mm -hmm. is that the special needs students are trying so hard to get it Mm -hmm. and that what's stopping them is just like their own challenges Mm -hmm. whereas the kids that I teach sometimes aren't really trying that hard and they don't really care and so I love that my special needs students and I are working together to try and get to something. Yeah, right. Sometimes there's it feels like, like I'm just working in opposition to what the kids want. Yeah. It feels like it's, there's like a common goal. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and the successes feel that much bigger when they have these challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, is it a wide range of ages within the same class? Or I'm interested to like how you structure a class um, with children with special needs because age might not really matter. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. We usually work with adults with special oh, needs. Oh, okay. I think that kids with special needs are trying to learn so much and catch up in so many different ways mm. that they're not necessarily taking these programs. Once they reach the age of 18, 19, 20, they've caught up with some of the main, their mainstream peers a lot of things and they can start to take some of these other programs right um yeah but they are usually 18 and up so sometimes i have students who are 35. Hmm, that's so like so lovely yeah interesting what a great organization how was that founded uh it's a woman named danielle sternad who studied 
arts education, I believe, at Concordia. And then her background is mostly in theater, but we have dance, drama, um, visual art, film mm-hmm. programs. Nice. Do they have their own um, building and space where they run out of all the time, or is it like depending on the class, depending on the space? Uh, they rent spaces, but they have a west end, east end, and central location. Nice. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good. Um, so backtracking a little bit. Yeah. That's like such an inspiring story. Yeah. It's so adorable. I could talk about that for all of our time, but yeah. we need to um, We had other questions. Yes. Um, you went to school or college to become like an electrician at one point, right? Oh. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, my dad's an electrician, and so... I was going through a period where I was just like, I don't want, I don't know. I guess we all go through phases where we're trying to figure out how to make our life as artists work. Right. And so far the way that I've managed that is by balancing my writing, which I try to do kind of nine to five during the, on the weekdays with teaching and bartending and I was trying to figure out a way to not have to do bartending. And electrical seemed like maybe that could be a cool replacement because you can work freelance, you make a decent amount of money per hour, and you can create your own schedule. So it's similar to bartending in that way. Yeah. Um, so I spent a year apprenticing with my dad. I would go out to a tobacco every Thursday, and we would go on uh, gigs together. I also, I love that you call it a gig. Is that what they call it in the electrical world? Probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> they go on electrical calls? Electrical gigs. Gigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and you would just do that? Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. It was and you crazy. didn't finish it. Yeah. I don't know. I felt like... Um, I have kind of a technical mind, so I felt like it was something I could be good at. Mm-hmm. Um, There's something empowering about being a woman and learning how to do electrical. Mm-hmm. It was a skill that I was going to be able to use no matter what. And I also felt like as a writer, I find it frustrating that a lot of stories that are being told by artists are about the lives of artists. And so I thought, even if I never use any of this, wouldn't it be cool if I had this experience and it was something I could write about? I could write about what it is to have this kind of mm-hmm. nine to five job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get experience that way. Yeah. And then you eventually were just like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Or, yeah. I, I mean, most people listening to this would probably be like, this is a very obvious conclusion that you should have had at the beginning, but it's just like a lot of work to learn how to become an electrician. <laughs> a lot of work. And so, yeah. But you did it for a year. I did do it for a year, and I learned a lot. And the ways that I learned what my dad's life is like um, on a day-to-day kind of basis and the ways that our relationship grew were a thing that I got out of it that I wasn't really anticipating. Sure. So Mm -hmm. that was cool too. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's like such such an interesting choice. Yeah. Have you had any other moments like that where you've just thought and tried to make your artist life work and you didn't want to do the one thing so you could do your art anymore? I've had lots of periods where I'm just teaching and I'm not doing any hospitality work. Mm -hmm. But it can be really challenging because there are periods where classes end and you're not making any money. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it, I also found it frustrating to have to take every single contract that was offered to me, no matter how far away it was or, right. you know, getting you paid this much for one hour and traveling this far and spending this much time on lesson planning. So doing a little bit of hospitality work makes me feel more relaxed financially and it means I can take the contracts that I'm really excited about. Right. Versus having every single one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then trying to schedule it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a time when I was at university where I was considering going into publishing. Like, <laughs> there are lots of periods where you start to think, uh, there must be something else that I can do. <laughs> 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 I think about that on my worst days, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What else can I do? <laughs> besides being an artist or besides being a bartender? <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of tied together. Yeah, it's all the same shit. <laughs> it's so, all the same thing. Besides being an artist, sometimes I think, like, I think I would be so good at this. Or, like, you watch, like, one Law & Order episode, you're like, I'd be an excellent lawyer. Or, like, you just, like, make, you know, you just, like, try and convince yourself that, like, this career choice you've invested and spent so much time on is... It's just not for you, but it is, it is. I, like, love being an artist, and it's great, but obviously. <laughs> but yeah. sometimes you do try to just think, like, you're curious about what would, what would happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's been interesting and challenging as the oldest of five to watch all of my siblings fall into more traditional career paths. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Like, Let's talk about that. <laughs> um, you know, like, get... I don't know. Um, I feel very similarly. I'm the oldest yeah. of five okay. as well. Yeah. Mine are all half siblings and they're okay. quite a bit younger than me, but all of them have done like really traditional career paths, go to school or get a trade, get a job, you know, get a house, mm -hmm. do all of those kind of things. And even though I'm like five years older than my closest sibling, I don't feel nearly as accomplished in that traditional sense of what, our society right. deems is important, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. I feel like that all the time. And I think it also really affects like my relationships with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. My eldest brother and I sort of grew up together. And so when he got his first job, that was like a salary position mm -hmm. um, in his field. It was like, okay, well, we're both kind of coming into adulthood together. But then as my like younger siblings are starting to reach those points, it's like, how do I feel like I'm kind of keeping up? And then what do I do when I don't feel like I'm keeping up? What, what does that mean? Like, you have to be aware that being an artist, you don't have the same kind of career trajectory that's right. Right. And you don't have the same out for you. goals as them. Exactly. Probably, right? So yeah. how you step towards those goals are different. How you guys probably define success is very different. Yeah. And even when you do have successes, my experience has been that the people around me don't understand those, sexes, those successes in the same right. way. If you get into a master's program, it's easy for people to be like, okay, I can see that that is 
this means this and this for you. Mm. But yes. um, for instance, when I found out that I got into this Canadian Film Center program, yeah. mm-hmm. my family is kind of like, that's great because you're excited about it, but they don't really know what totally. to expect from that. Right. They're yeah. happy for you because they can see that you're excited, but they don't. Yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. I still haven't told my dad that I do a podcast just because he's not going to get it. <laughs> you, you no. Know, so your dad doesn't know. No. He doesn't know what a podcast is. He's <laughs> <laughs> a fucking phone. <laughs> How is he going to know what a podcast is? And then also about being an artist. Those are two things that aren't going to correlate in my dad's brain. So, yeah, I just, like, you know, it just doesn't make sense to, like, I'm just going to talk to him about, like, golf and basketball and other things that are lovely in my life, like performances and yeah. things that he doesn't understand. I'm just like, ah, no. you win some, you lose some. <laughs> um, is it, I guess we kind of already talked about that, about the success with your sibling. Yeah. How do you define your success, then, for yourself? Um, one way that I've always defined success is um, when I feel proud of my life. Mm-hmm then I feel like I'm probably doing pretty well when I have something that I'm excited to talk to people about, even if it's not something that they would be excited to talk yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, totally. You, um, you can't yeah. really judge your successes against other people's reactions. Yeah. It would probably be harmful. It's interesting because um, like you come from five, and they're all doing regular normie norm jobs, and you also same thing my parents are also like very yeah traditional career paths so when you guys sit down at the dinner table is it like with your families mm-hmm. are you immediately and you're talking about you know each other and themselves when you talk about the work that you do or you're talking about these you know the podcast or something you're writing are they understanding like what it's about do they think that means success for you what do they think mm-hmm. you can go first Brooke my, my mom's a really good listener, so when I talk to her about uh, the ideas that I'm exploring, she's great at just kind of listening and letting me kind of yeah. enjoy working through my own ideas. And so I enjoy those conversations, and I feel kind of fulfilled in those conversations because um, she's a really great kind of vessel for my ideas. Yeah. Uh, my parents have a funny way of responding to when they hear about my life they're often just proud that I'm out there in the world and able to kind of support myself and have an apartment and like do the very most basic things but I think like when you have this child and then they become an adult and they're out in the world and they're somehow managing in some ways that's a success and it's amazing yeah uh but it's weird to talk to them about my life and for them to respond. Oh, Brooke, you're so great with money. Or isn't it great that you have this apartment? Like, my parents tell their friends about my apartment all the time. Like, <laughs> Brooke has an apartment. She lives downtown. Like, this is, this is the success. Yeah. This is the success that they understand. Yeah, and it's, like, a tangible thing for them, right? Yeah. It's, like, something they can, like, grasp onto. Is it the same with your siblings? You mean, do my siblings listen to... Listen. I'm just so I'm asking this because I come from like all artists, mm-hmm. right? So like when we sit down at the table, we're immediately talking about like we're like doing the humble brag, you know, <laughs> the, the sibling competition that you do, <laughs> that game you play at the table, you know. 
and you're talking about your art and you're talking about this and it's just I'm around people that are understanding yeah that and completely can grasp onto that like my sister and my other sister and my mom so I was just wondering like what you got what it's like at the dinner table for you guys because I don't know that experience being around being the only one that's you know an artist in the I guess I just like can't I talk about to my parents what I'm doing, but it's it's very surface level mm-hmm. necessarily. I'm not gonna like dive into like the inspiration behind my last film, mm-hmm. or <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm or I'm not gonna like. But my but like Brooke was saying, my mom is also just like a very good sounding board. Yeah, where I just like talk at her. Yeah, and she just like yeah okay, and then she'll like maybe like throw in like a nugget of gold like. Yeah. life experience that she had and that might resonate with me. Might not. Uh, might not. My siblings are very, because they're also like quite a bit younger than me. They're like 22 and 20. So it's not so much there. They're like, cool. Sounds cool. Like my 22 year old sister's like, cool. <laughs> Great. Thanks, right. Kelsey. <laughs> Still love you. Yeah. Um, but it's like, I find, I feel like it's a wall sometimes because I want to share it with them because it's my life and I want them to get it. But I also like, I know it's not their life mm-hmm. and it's not about them. So as much as they can get out of it is fine. Mm-hmm. So it's like this like balancing act of like, right. do I invest my entire, also I don't get home very much. So do I invest my entire, entire three days that I'm home in a year to trying to explain to them what I do? Or do I just like sit and enjoy yeah the presence of being home you know so yeah that's the fine line for me yeah yeah I guess my family gets the elevator pitch of what yeah the project is that I'm working on um and they're not able to necessarily ask the kind the kind of probing questions that would cause me to rethink the project that I'm working on that my friends might be able to ask or right. the other people that I'm working with mm-hmm. um yeah so that's probably the difference. Yeah. Well, just curious about it. Mm-hmm. Family dynamics, like you were talking about with your character work, it's just like they're very interesting, I think. Yeah. They're super nuanced and different, and there's so much going on that is very small and like intimate that is very hard, I think, to get from an outside perspective. It's also been interesting coming from a very Catholic family because especially when I was a bit younger, all of my work was just kind of pushing against everything they tried to teach me. (laughs) Uh, So I would invite my parents to come see these shows and they would just be like, wow, (laughs) that's exactly not what I want you to be thinking. So then there was like a period where I just didn't invite them. And then I was like, no, my parents have to like face these parts of me. And so I would invite them, but with warnings or, you know, if it was a double bill and I just didn't think they would enjoy this show that was after mine, I'd be like, come see my show because this is what I have created, but you don't have to stay for the next show because it's not going to resonate with you. Yeah. So that's always been kind of like... And your parents are so religious. They are, yeah. Mm. Are your siblings as well, or did you all, all also, are you? Like, no. Okay. <laughs> I didn't assume so, but I thought I should ask. Yeah. <laughs> but those, uh, 
questions were more present in my earlier work when it felt like something that I was emerging out of. Now that I've been kind of my own person in the world for a lot longer, those questions don't feel as relevant to me, but... Right. Um, um, for your own work, Rook, that you've made, films, etc., are you funding it you're on by yourself, or have you been applying for funding, or do you have donors? How have you done worked with the whole funding process? Um, I've received a couple of grants. I've done some crowdfunding. I've often just paid for things up front and then been reimbursed later. So. Yeah. Little column A, little column B. Mm-hmm. Do you have an opinion on crowdfunding? What do you think about it? It worked for me. It was the project that I was working with people with special needs. So yeah. Oh, yeah. it was the right kind of project yeah. for crowdfunding. I tried to be very selective about the projects that I use crowdfunding for. Like, if I was trying to make my feature film and I felt like a lot of people would get on board because it's just like this huge thing that I wouldn't be able to do without their help, then maybe that would be a situation where I might look to crowdfunding. But I know a lot of artists who just kind of, I think, use it a little bit too much. Yes. And... (laughs) Sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's... Everybody's, like, using it to, you know, travel or to go to residencies or every experience possible, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. It's like diluting almost the market for it, isn't it? Yeah, you really need the right project, mm-hmm. I think. Have you guys used it? Well, we have a Patreon page. Yeah. That's for this. Yeah. That you can donate to. <laughs> Help us rent mics. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't have to turn my head and do this. Um, uh, yeah, we have a Patreon page for our podcast, um, which isn't really doing anything right now, but we haven't really been pushing it either. It's there, it's live, but yeah. It'd be great if it, I mean, it's started working, but even like a hundred dollars a month would cover our entire costs. Yeah. (laughs) Like to do this. This is an extremely cheap. Yeah. Like project. So setup is nice and it's really easy for us. Yeah. Um, but it'd be nice not to pay for it. Yeah. (laughs) We, but in terms of like films and, and past projects. We've paid for them all out of pocket. Yeah. Unfortunately, we haven't been successful with grants. Yeah. For shitty reasons. Yeah, we got denied a grant in October. Yeah. Because they said we should have submitted under two separate project grants, right? Yeah. So we wrote it for, like, our latest dance film. And so for the, like, creation of the choreography should have been one grant mm-hmm. in one division. And then for all of the filming and post-production should have been in a separate one yeah which is which didn't make like and they they really weren't being very responsive to um like emails or phone calls so it was really hard to get um answers to questions at that time and it was it was because we decided to do it pretty i mean last minute maybe i mean i feel like every time we write a grant it's like oh it's due in two weeks yeah (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. um yeah we just yeah it was like a yeah, it was weird, and I was like, oh, but this is a dance, like, us being dancers, and it being a dance film, it meant that it was, like, should be in the dance mm. section of the funding, mm-hmm. and it should be a dance project, mm-hmm. or production, because we're producing, 
mm-hmm. a final like product, right? We're not going to like a residency. We're not going anywhere. We're producing something, and so we wrote it in as one big grant, asked for not even that much money, mm-hmm. and then they're a week later they're like it's been pulled on technicality. They're like, no, but they won't even look at it. They're like, it's in the wrong, like, yeah. Mm, yeah. It can just, they're looking for any reason, you know. Not to read something, because I'm yeah. sure they get like hundreds and hundreds. Submissions, yeah. yeah. So one small thing, they'll just. Yeah. So we've self-produced everything we've done so far. Yeah. yeah. Which we feel very lucky that we are able to do that, both being like in hospitality that allows you to like make larger amounts of money pretty quickly if you need to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can like set it aside and be like, this is for our next film. But we realize that like that's not an option for everybody either. Yeah. And like doing um like our stuff has been pretty low budget, which is really nice because it's us mm-hmm. and like a DOP. Mm-hmm. And then we do everything else ourselves. But like something like a feature film or even a short film requires a lot more hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, grants are challenging for me because that time could be going towards writing a grant or towards writing a play or a film. And right. yeah, I mean, it's the same for you guys, really. It's, it's not writing versus writing, but it's still yeah. writing it's, a grant versus other art or work towards it's art. It's just like so taxing, um, too. Yeah, it's everything. And then a grant is like, it's a political thing. And if my piece is not political in the right way, then... right. I can see why right. it's not going to get funding just from that perspective. That's, such that's so interesting because we were, I mean, that's very similar to what Frank was saying yeah. about comedy that they, as Ontario, it's Ontario Arts Council, yeah. right? And the Toronto Arts Council. And the Toronto Arts Council. They don't recognize comedy under, you can't apply for it as a comedian. Yeah. And it's because what he was saying is like, if you make a joke and then, you know, comedy is split second, someone might not like something or if it's not done the right way or whatever, mm-hmm. then it looks like all of a sudden you have the Ontario Arts Council like being like funded by Ontario <laughs> Arts Council and you may have made like someone calling you a terrible joke or right? something yeah right? <laughs> yeah so they won't they won't donate or they won't yeah. not, they don't they won't fund um projects like that yeah yeah and then like you need very specific amounts of experience to even be able to apply for grants so right. like, like are you I spent artists, are you a year being like I need this much experience before I can get funding from the <clears throat> for theater. And so that was very much my focus is yes, I want to produce these projects, but I want like I want to get reviews because I can use those reviews to try and get grants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stupid things like that that you don't want to have to think about. You don't want to be giving critics that kind of power like yeah, totally. And then now I'm like in the same phase for film where it's like it would be great to have money, but I'm also not at a point where I can really apply for money and expect to get anything because I'm competing with people who have three or four short films that have screened at these festivals and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like this weird cycle that you have to have. Everybody wants to, like, donate to emerging artists or everybody wants to fund emerging, like, cool new things, but then they look at your... But then you're you're never, like quite experienced enough never it's like this weird like you're emerging artist you're not an emerging artist oh i don't know i don't like it yeah i don't like it i don't like applying for grants (laughs) (laughs) makes me feel very underqualified (laughs) i just like go crazy when i'm doing them i have to like lock myself 
in a room and not do anything else. And it's very stressful. And I don't really like enjoy writing all that much. <laughs> you know, I'm not a writer. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not great at that kind of professional writing. Yeah. yeah it's all, it's, it's all about different. like clarity and precision. That's not really what I focus on. Yeah. Right <laughs> My writing is very vague and yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Brooke, how do you feel about being an artist right now, today, in this moment? <laughs> is it killing you? Yeah. <laughs> is it fucking killing you? Or is it just killing you? Um, it's interesting to be an artist um, and, like, getting close to 30. Like, I started to feel it when I was around 27. I'm 29 now. Um, I remember when I was at university and I, I kind of had this idealistic vision of, like, oh, my life's not going to play out in the way that everybody else's will, but mm. I don't want that life for myself, and that's fine. Yeah. But I'm starting to get tired, you know? <laughs> I just don't have the same kind of energy that I had then, and I'm sure that people told me that who were 30 when I was that age. And artists, but yeah. The 9 to 5 structure gives you a lot of time for rest and to just kind of enjoy the money that you've made and... Mm -hmm. um, it is definitely a lot harder to work until three in the morning and to, you know, just work all the time because right. yeah. the time that other people spend for leisure, I spend for my art, which is more work. Yeah. 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 Even though it's work that I love. Um, so I wouldn't say that it's killing me, but I definitely feel more tired. I feel the yeah. burden of it because Strain. of that. Yeah. yeah. So have there been like points in your life where you resent your art because you're like oh if I wasn't doing this I could be like have a normal life you know and be like sitting outside with my friends on a patio <laughs> you know what I mean yeah especially around summertime I feel that I'm like I yeah. don't want to serve I want to be <laughs> you know yeah I mean I know that um our colleague Liv and I have talked about how she's a professional Muay Thai fighter and mm -hmm. she and I both feel this sense that like of sometimes feeling left out or on the outside because when everybody else finishes work, yeah. they can go do this thing. And when we finish work, we don't get to be, partake in that social no. stuff. We yeah. have to just like put our time into this one thing that we're very focused on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what it would be like to just go have a margarita at 5 p.m. Right. Um, and then also dating someone who has a nine to five job. It's been really challenging and I kind yeah. of resent my schedule because I'm like, well... I have like six hours on a Sunday that I can see you. Otherwise, I'm either doing one job or the other job. And uh, mm -hmm. so in those moments, I'm like, wouldn't it be nice if I could go back 10 years and make a different decision? <laughs> Would you, though? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you have a timeline if, it, if you, or do you um, set? I don't know. It's you know. funny because theoretically you could always go back to school and do something else but That's what they tell as you. you get older you're you at once get closer to like maybe I should just give up but you also get kind of further you're digging yourself further into the hole yeah. that is this is the only <laughs> life I'm going to have yeah <laughs> That's an excellent way to put it <laughs> yep yeah <laughs> Even when I was 25, I was like, yeah, I could go back to college. But now if I think about going back to school, it's like, well, I'm 29 now. If I actually go back to school for two or three years, then I'm starting a new career. And, like, I see lots of people doing it. I see people going to law school or 
going to college and learning to become like added film editors or careers that are close to what they love, mm -hmm. but are just so that they have something secure and I'm interested and I respect all of the different choices people yeah. are making mm -hmm. around this lifestyle. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that, that was very similar for you when you're like made the switch from acting to writing? It's close to what I want to do. It's close to where, where, what I fell in love with. Or do you feel like you just like actually found your passion and you're in that switch? Yeah, I feel like writing fits my life better. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. It wasn't really a, a practical decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, yeah. um, Brooke, do you have anything you want to plug? I mean, I want to plug the book banning show when it comes out. <laughs> do you have like an estimated time? Do you have social media already that is the book banning show that we could? No. No. <laughs> no. I'm not going to plug anything right now. Oh, you can check out my website, brookbanning.com, if you want to see what I'm up to or uh, follow me. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. And we'll let you know when the web series comes out. Yeah. If you can tell us. We'll and then be, we'll... It'll be all of our stuff. Yeah. Yay. Sweet. Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Brooke. Yeah, thanks for having me. This, this is fun, fun, right? Yay. Do you want more coffee? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always more coffee. <laughs>